Revelation 21, where we're going to start in just a moment. Uh, let me add my welcome to our brother Hinton Horton. Great to have him. Hinton was actually a member before uh, he went to Grace Point and he was hired away from us. So Hinton, I want you to know we have an invitation song at the end of this service, man. It is time for you to come home, all right? Thanks for being here. Guys, we, we got all the way today to the end of the story, and we all wonder, how does a story end? Many of us are bad about going ahead and reading the end of the story just to see that. Now, we must all confess that often movies that are really good or books that are good or TV shows often end in very disappointing move, endings where maybe um, it leaves a bad taste in our mouth or we really don't think that's the end of the story. We're wanting more. Let me just go over some that I think are a little bit disappointing. Let's go to a classic, The Wizard of Oz. I love The Wizard of Oz. The only bad thing is it was shown on Sunday night and we never could watch it, right? But, but The Wizard of Oz, you follow Dorothy through the yellow brick road and then it's all this adventure, the end of the story, you find out it was just a dream. That's sort of disappointing to me. Got any Star Wars fans in here? Okay, just about three, all right, Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars, The Last Jedi. What a disappointing ending for Luke Skywalker. That's a sore point. Because he just sits on a cliff, looks at the sunset, and becomes one with the force, and the star is disappeared. A little bit disappointing. How many of you, I know some of you, like the TV show Lost? <laughs> one, okay. Two, there we go. <laughs> How many were disappointed in the ending? Okay, thank you, yes. I mean, it just answers no questions. I mean, the story's been set up. And you have no answers, no finality, none of the mysteries explained. There's just no wrapping up the plot. we got to have some Seinfeld fans in here, all right? Okay, good. That's much better, 20. Um, now, Seinfeld, you know, what a funny show. But it ends up with them being arrested for being selfish and thrown in jail. And you just have this sort of weird reminiscing at the end. And then what, this is going to be a mixed response, okay? But what must be the most disappointing TV show in the history of the world, for some of us, not for some of you, was absolutely the kick six. <laughs> okay. Some of you Auburn people really been on me lately. I've given you a gift here today, okay? Be very, very thankful. But here's the exciting thing about the story is that there is no disappointing ending. In fact, the story ends in the most thrilling end. And what really intrigues me is the end of the story is so tied to the beginning of the story. Now, on your outline today, I call these the bookends. Guys, Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 are so reflective of each other. There's so many allusions to Genesis 1 and 2 at the end that it ties it all together. And for some reason this morning, you sort of doubt if this is a story, this will confirm it. If you doubt the hand of God was behind the writing of the story, this will tell you he absolutely was there. He was written by God. Let's just compare that before we get in our text. Let's compare the first creation and the new creation. And, and all the, first of all, they both happen in what? A garden. The garden and the final creation is also a city. Pretty interesting combination. 
We also, for the first time in the Bible, since Genesis 1 and 2, we run into the tree of life. In both, there is a river. The blessing of the first creation and the last creation is you're able to walk with God. And the blessing that you're able also is to live under no curse. The first creations before the curse, the, the last creation, the new creations after the curse. And man is called to the same mission statement, to reign. In Genesis 1 and 2, he's to rule over the earth. In Revelation 21 and 22, he is to reign forever and ever. What an incredible combination. And that's why I believe Guys, when we get to heaven, heaven is the restoration of everything we lost in the fall. And so we have this incredible Eden created as the perfect place for mankind to live that is destroyed through the fall that now is restored in Jesus in the new creation. And let's just, uh, just, just one little sidelight point I'd like to make for you today. In between this and this, the turning point was the resurrection of Jesus. And guess where it happens? In a garden. And guess what Jesus is called? A gardener. And guess what day it happens on? The first day of the week. The first day of creation. Guys, the whole story ties together. That's the turning point. And finally, we get to the end. I'm so excited about us sharing this this morning. Go with me to Revelation 21, and we're going to go through Revelation 21 and 22. I just want you to to take it in, all right? Listen to what John the Revelator said. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. We go on, and we go, what is the big deal about a sea? Listen to me, guys. In ancient days, a sea was not somewhere you visited. It was something you were completely frightened of. You know, they would not have spent Memorial Day on the beach, okay? Which is to say, those of us left behind are the most spiritual people in our church, all right? So the sea's not a good thing. There was no longer any sea. That's where you got ate up. Verse 2, I saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order. Aren't you sick of the old order? The old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the springs of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I'll be their God, and they'll be my children. 
But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and liars, they'll be confined to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Isn't that a sad position, the second death? One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me on my way in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of very precious jewels, like jasper clear as crystal. And then he spends a few verses telling us about all these incredible, bright, and shining jewels and what a spectacular place heaven will be. And then verse 15, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadium length and as wide and high as it is long. We'll talk about that in a moment. Heaven is an absolute cube. Look down at verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of the God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. And the nations will walk The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of earth will bring their splendor into it. Oh, no day will give its gates, and on no day will its gates be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will enter in it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful and deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now listen to chapter 22. Verse 1 through 5, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, thank God. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. Think how radical this is. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not be need for the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And don't you love that description of the new creation of heaven? Because so often we struggle with what heaven's going to be. A few years ago in Rolling Stone magazine, the famous author Stephen King was asked, do you want to go to heaven? Here's his answer. I don't want to go to the heaven I learned about when I was a kid. To me, it seems boring. The idea that you're going to lounge around on a cloud all day and listen to guys play harps, I don't want to listen to hearts. I want to listen to Jerry Lee Lewis. And some of us, we, we grew up with this, this, you know, we're just these spirit beings sitting on a cloud with a halo over our head playing a harp. And that doesn't sound very exciting. 
And that's why I love this picture of heaven. And I hope you, you heard a few words that appeared over and over. It came down to the earth. Now, I'm not asking you to, to agree with me or not on this. You can think about it. I truly believe the earth will be cleansed and the new heaven and the new earth will be here on this earth. And, 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 and instead of it being just something completely different than what we've experienced, I think there will be some incredible similarities, except it is absolutely perfect. So what is heaven like? What does God reveal to us? Let me tell you a few pl- things. First of all, heaven is a specific place. It's not non-physical. It's not just this state of mind. You notice the old heaven and the old earth, which is very physical, is replaced by, replaced by the new heaven and the new earth. The new Jerusalem that we're going to live in has real walls and gates and rivers and roads. It's a physical place where you walk and eat and talk and relate to each other. It's a specific place. Jesus had promised that in John 14, that he was going to prepare a place for us. It's a place. You're not just floating on some cloud. On top of that, heaven is a spacious place. You know, basically he says it's 1,400 square miles in every direction. That's about the distance from Mexico to Canada. It's a perfect cube. And as Jesus said back in John chapter 14, I've gone and I'm going to have many dwellings. Listen to me, friends. There is not going to be overcrowding in heaven. There is lots and lots of space for every one of us to be there. And the most importantly, heaven is a sacred place. That's the importance of this cube. Now, what does that match in Scripture? The Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. It was the place where God dwelled. And so we've seen the temple, starting back with the the tabernacle, then the physical temple there in Jerusalem, then Jesus comes to earth, and he is the location of God. He is the temple, and then he leaves, and he indwells us as the temple of the Holy Spirit, and then we get to heaven, and the whole place is a temple. It's a cube. It's where God dwells. My friend, the greatest thing about being in heaven is being with God. We know from the book of 1 John that if you wanted to define God, if you wanted to find one word that would sum up who God is and what he's like, it would simply say God is love. When we get to heaven, it will be a place of perfect love. And believe it or not, we will see his face and not be struck dead. People yearn for that for all of life, to see the face of God. John says when we see his face, guess what? Guess what? We will be just like him. All of your imperfections, all of the the struggles you've had with your sinful nature will absolutely be over, and you'll be in this sacred place with God. And then let me say this, heaven is a secure place. I, I don't know about you guys, but it's hard to feel safe in our world today. I mean, it's gone berserk. There's been shootings in America, mass shootings, not just shootings, mass shootings in America every day of this year. Really hit me a few weeks ago. Somehow this came up in our, our life group, and we have a lot of administrators and teachers in our life group. 
And I know I've, I've watched the news, I've, watched, I've heard all these things, but it wasn't until that moment that it really hit me how fearful our teachers and administrators are just to walk into a school building. It's awful. And we're all feeling it. Went to the house of John and Janelle Dell the other day. If you hadn't done that, you'd missed out on something special. They are absolutely both characters with a capital C. Um, it, it was really, really funny. Um, uh, I went with uh, one of our secretaries, Karen, and Sterling back there. And so we went to, to visit. And um, Janelle's telling us how bad John is doing. And John is, we're, we're not sure John's even come out of the room because his health is failing. And she keeps telling us how blind he is now. And that he keeps making her take him to different eye doctors, just hoping somebody will give him a different report. Well, all of a sudden, in the middle of our conversation, and if you know Karen, she's rather lovely. Um, John is wheeled into the room, okay? First thing he says is, wow, that's a beautiful girl. <laughs> I said, dude, I thought you were blind. <laughs> Man, you, you saw. But here's what really touched me. At the end of our time, I said, Janelle, what can I pray for you about? And she gave me a, a list of things. And then here's John, very, very feeble Terrible health. I said, John, what can I pray for you about? And John said, it's the shootings. I just can't get over all these shootings. What in the heck is going on in our country? Now, here's a man who had every reason for us to pray about other things, and yet that's what he saw. That's what we see. Because I want you to know that heaven is going to be a perfectly safe place. It's going to be secure. In, in a world where everything changes, the economy changes, your job changes. Most Americans work dozens of jobs. Your bosses change. The culture changes. Friendships changes. Football cultures change. I mean, everything around us changes. We yearn for a little security. Some of you remember days in America where things did at least seem more secure. It makes us yearn for heaven. Heaven will be a place where there will be no need for a church to hire a security guard. There will be no locked doors. There will be no more tears. It's a secure place. And listen, guys, heaven is a spectacular place. John walks and reports to us about the precious gemstones, the gates of pearls, the streets of gold, the presence and glory of God. How do you explain that? I mean, John's just doing the best attempt a finite mind could communicate with us with our finite mind. You know, it's... um. If some of us can remember, you know, 19-inch black and white TVs where you actually had to exercise and get up and change the channels, right? And now, you know, you, might, you may go into a house with 85-inch high-definition TV. It's just that kind of contrast. Now, if I understand, there's now a quantum dot OLED TV that's brighter than anything we have. And yet that cannot compare to the contrast between the vivid picture of this earth and the incredible picture of the new earth. And then finally, not finally, but one more point here, heaven is a satisfying place. 
I mean, just go back to, to chapter 2, verse 1. The angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the street was the tree of life. And what did it do? It gave leaves of healing. My friends, every good desire you have will be satisfied in heaven. What you enjoy here is my guess will be multiplied there. Listen to um, this quote by Randy Alcorn, who wrote a really famous book on heaven, probably the most detailed work in history on heaven. Here's what he says. All of our lives we've been dreaming of the new earth. He says this, whenever we see beauty in water, flower, deer, man, woman, or child, we catch a glimpse of heaven. Just like the Garden of Eden, the new earth will be a place of sensory delight, breathtaking beauty, satisfying relationships, and personal joy. Gosh, you're going to do a whole lot more than float around on a cloud with your harp. I know this service wouldn't do that forever, okay? I mean, it's going to be an incredibly satisfying place. And then just one more point here. It's a select place. I mean, a couple of times it sort of interrupted our reading, didn't it? It sort of didn't feel comfortable when he goes, but all these dudes, they're not going. You know, the greedy, the immoral, the sexual. I mean, he, but what is he trying to say? This is a select place. This will be a place, and stay with me for a second or you're going to get discouraged. This will be a place for perfect people. You say, well, then I don't qualify. I'm not ever going. Everything we read here points us back to Jesus, right? The reason you qualify, the reason you can be in a perfect place with perfect people is that you have surrendered your life to him and you've been washed in the blood of the lamb. Amen? It's not that you need to hear this verse and go, i got to go work out here, and i gotta, I got to figure out how to get my life right. No, no, no. In God's eyes, you are covered in the blood of Jesus, and you are ready for this perfect place. So when you look at all of these descriptions, and we're just getting started. Like I said a moment ago, this is a, an attempt through the Holy Spirit to, to at least give us some kind of picture. It's no wonder the Apostle Paul says, no eye has seen or ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. My friends, this is a great picture, but it doesn't do justice. Now, here's, here's our question for today as we get to the end of the story. Not only is all of this true, the question is, do you believe this? If we believe this, it's sort of odd how much work we put into not going. Staying here. And let me add one more point here. Not only are all of these things true, but this will last for what? Forever. One more click, guys. Forever. There we go. If you think that's awesome, it's never, ever, ever, ever going to end. So what do we do right now? Right now, we're still in the middle of the story. And let me say to you, it has been the most helpful part of this series to me. 
is this line that we must trust the story. Here we are living in a, a sinful, fallen world. Here we are still struggling with our own sinfulness. Here we are where there are tears and there is pain and there is death. How do we make it? Listen, my friends, let's talk about this one more time because it's so critical. We've got to trust the story. When you think you're a nobody and there's no reason that God could care for you, you've got to trust the creation story, that you are the apple of his eyes and the crowning achievement of creation. When you notice that the world and you and everything around you is not the way it should be, when life throws you curveball after curveball, you trust the story. You know we're living in a fallen world. When you begin to believe that you've blown it too bad and God would never pursue you, trust the story of Israel. God never stopped pursuing them. When you believe and you're struggling with your faith in God and not sure exactly what God's like because of some old stories or because of what he did or because of what he didn't do, I'm telling you, you trust the story of Jesus, that that's the exact representation of him. When you begin to believe that your life has no purpose and you're just making it from day to day, putting food on the table, sleeping, working, going back to sleep. No, you and I, we trust the story. We are what? We're the body of Christ. We're the church. And when you wonder, is any of this going anywhere? Let's, let's add another caveat. You trust the end of the story. Guys, that's where we all land. Because, you know, guys, life's not always going to go well. And we don't like to talk about this, but we're all going to get sick. And if Jesus doesn't come back, we're all going to die. So, guys, what changes everything is if, if we actually trust the story we've just read. If we trust the story of the new creation well, then death is not something to dread. It's something to anticipate because the end of this story is better than any story we could ever imagine. The end of this story is in no way disappointing because the end of this story is the beginning of everything we've ever desired. Forever. So what story are you leaning into? The famous Beatle John Lennon was asked one time by a reporter after the Beatles had broke up, and if you're young, the Beatles are the most famous rock and roll group of all time. Y'all got that? Okay, got it, okay. <laughs> they asked him, John Lennon, if you could do it all over again, would you do it? This was shocking. A man who had all the fame and power and sex and money he ever wanted, said, no, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't want to be a beetle. I'd want to be a fisherman. He wanted a different story. And that's the beauty of what we are preaching over the last eight or nine weeks is you get to pick the story you live into and the story that the Bible has told. And I'm so thankful we've had the time just to go over the major parts of the story without getting bogged down in too many details. It's the story that you want to be a part of. It's the story being written right now 
It's the story you choose to be a part of. And right now we're about to sing a great song, It Is Well With My Soul. Gosh, I love this song. And, and let me just say, as we sing this song, if, if things aren't well, because this is a fallen, difficult world, if you are right now living into the wrong story, because I'm telling you, there's all kinds of narratives out there in the world. The world's telling you, you're crazy to live for God. Man, just go party it up. Just um, get as many material possessions as you can. I mean, just accumulate. Just buy one thing after the other. Just be in one relationship after the other. And guys, all of those stories end in a flat dead end. This story ends in new creation and the new earth, something more glorious than we could even describe. If you today would like to surrender and be in that story, meet me on this front row. If life is messed up and falling right now and you need some prayers, meet me on this front row. If you need the prayers of the church of something you've done that you're not too happy about, meet me on this front row while we all stand together and sing.